0: 25 years you'll you learn not to talk about any of that shit <laughs> oh, i have to tell you my elbow's hurting lately and i want to blame tennis but i haven't played any tennis i don't play tennis
1: but i lift weights and so you can get it from lifting mm-hmm. weights too so it doesn't matter whatever do you don't think Anything it's from leaning that- like
0: this on my mouse hand like just when, when i'm like i'm all over the internet and doing stuff would you
1: rather say it's from like golf or weightlifting? That's what I would, would say. rather
0: say, that Catherine. I just don't. I just don't know if it's true, but I would rather. I would much rather say it.
1: Um, I have one book story for you, and I don't know if you've read any of Michael Lewis's books, um, mm-hmm. like Moneyball or The Big Short or whatever. I've only read a couple of them. Um, did you, he has been sequestered with um, RBF, the FTX guy, and um, I don't know if you've been following the like FTX yeah. kerfuffle, uh, which is bigger than a kerfuffle. But um, I have Michael been super generous. Very I know, I know. I've been really bearish on on crypto and DeFi for a really long time. So I am the schadenfreude that I'm experiencing is a little embarrassing even to myself. But um, but I I learned that Michael Lewis has been embedded with him for six months and he came out of it and he was like, this guy's amazing. He's like doing all this great work and it's so impressive and important. And that was the book he was going to write. So now I wonder what the actual book is going to say after he came out of that experience thinking that he was really amazing.
0: Well, the k- I shouldn't say kid, but he's like in his 30s, right? Early early 30s 30. or something? He's
1: 13. He, when 30. he started When he started the company in 2019, he was, um, well, I think he was 20. I think he was 26. He was whatever. He had a- Fascinating. Had a- but that's a like crazy town. A 10, you know, in a $10 billion, he was the wealthiest, yet the youngest wealthiest person. He's like one of the top 10 wealthy people in the world. I mean, yeah. wealthy
0: i mean look i'm all in on the i'm all in on the subject like i have some bitcoin that i you know i have some crypto art i find it fascinating the conversations of how blockchain could penetrate into hr or how it should be you know working through the recruitment process all that's so fascinating to me and so fun uh but i haven't seen a lot of that rubber hitting the road and then when this hit the news in the last week or so it's i mean there's not enough news coverage In the morning, I'm drinking coffee in the morning, watching TV. There's not enough of it on the TV. I have to to go online to figure out what's happening.
1: I only heard about, so I listen to NPR on my way to work in the morning, and I only have a seven-minute commute, so I don't hear a lot. But I was surprised that this morning was the first time I'd heard them cover it. I was like, I feel like you should have been talking about this before, NPR. Like, this is a big deal. Anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, you would think. All right. Well, uh, are we we ready to jump in? Because we're going to talk about equity and and, and equity. I'm ready. Okay, well, here we go. All right, everybody. I'm Chris Hoyt. I'm your host today for the CXR Recruiting Community Podcast. I'm just going to give you a really quick introduction as we set this up, because the other introductions, they're just old, and we're moving into a new year, and we're going to go faster. So Uh, if you didn't already know, we're live streaming on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and of course, cxr.works slash podcast. If you are with us live, uh, please drop a note, say hello, uh, ask any questions you've got for our guests today in the live chat. You'll see that uh, on some of those streams. Uh, If you can do that, we will do our best to bring you into the conversation, uh, as well as just give you a little mention. We got a fancy new tool that allows us to just put, put an overlay up there that says who said what uh, on the side. So we'll do our best to acknowledge that and say hello. I want to jump right in today because we've got an interesting topic today uh, around equity. Uh, and we're going to talk to our friend, Catherine, who's coming in. Let me pull Jerry in from the green room. Jerry, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. There we go. And uh, there's Catherine. She's in the spotlight window. Catherine, how are you?
1: Hi, good. How are you?
0: <laughs> Great. Thanks for joining. Where Where are you seated? Where are you joining us from?
1: Um, I'm standing actually in Atlanta, Georgia right now.
0: Nice. Well, that will help. No tennis knee uh, that way. It'll help. It's good for posture. And I don't know how your elbow will fare with that. For those who are here early, Catherine, why don't you give us uh, what I like to call an escalator pitch. So for those who may not know who Catherine is uh, or keep financial for that matter, why don't you just kind of give us that two minute pitch of who you are and a little bit of background so that we know why we should be paying attention to what you have to say today.
1: Sure. Thanks. Um, my um, co-founder, Rob, and I started Keep uh, earlier this year um, after selling our last company called Cabbage to American Express. And we grew that company up to about 600 people and um, then were within American Express for um, almost two years after that. And we had a lot of experience working with um, our teams to manage compensation. And compensation is a really big topic, and it's important because everybody works for money. So what we realized is that everybody was coming to their employer in a different place with different experiences, with different needs, but they're all getting paid the same way. And we had this idea that we could create an opportunity for employers to provide upfront compensation to their employees that vests over time, just like equity vests, but mm-hmm. giving employees more access to it earlier in their careers. And that's what keeps huh. it
0: okay i love that so so when we talked about throwing up uh, this podcast right we talked about a topic of like when equity doesn't drive equity and i want to just set the stage because our audience we have a humble humble audience we get a couple thousand downloads i think once post once it goes up versus the stream uh but it's kind of an interesting thing because most of them we believe uh are in that recruiting window right they are recruiters themselves and one of the things i think even as a former recruiter that drives us a little nuts is negotiating and trying to figure, you know, going to going to bat with comp and trying to make things right and just getting approval and doing what we've got to do to sort of get that offer and get that candidate across the finish line. So comp is not a sexy topic for recruiters by and large, but it is something that we're seeing more and more recruiters, I think, sort of dip into and pay more attention to. And certainly with a lot of the laws being passed on pay transparency and that sort of thing, it is continuing to float up. And I think it's going to be a huge, huge topic into next year. Would you would you agree with that for as as it goes forward in our space?
1: hundred percent. And especially as, you know, people are a the couple there's a couple of factors influencing that. First of all, you had the great resignation and the war on talent and people now are distributed all over the country and all over the world. So they have an opportunity to work for lots of different companies that they may not have been able to work for prior. Um, and, and people are also t- wanting to take control and new people, younger people are coming into the workforce and they're looking for agency and autonomy in the way they work and how they get paid. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you when you say the phrase uh, equity doesn't drive equity, what, what does that mean to you, Catherine?
1: I think because I come from, you know, a series of tech startups, you have this idea when you start a company that equity is important, that giving your employees access to options and other ways to sort of align their behavior with with you, with the employer um, is really, really important. And so a lot of companies, and we did this too, give everybody in the company equity. Of course, um, the more senior people get more and the less senior people get less. So everyone doesn't have the same amount of equity. The other challenge is that most people don't have an ability to create, to to change the outcome or influence the outcome. And a lot of people wait a long time to get access to that equity. And the next thing that happens is as people stay with companies longer, it actually, um, it's it's like the most expensive you can thing you can do is stay loyal to a company that provides compensation and equity because you usually don't get more. We had people who are with us for 10 years. And while you did give them some more, you give them less and less as the company grows. And so I think at the end, by the time a transaction happens, let's say in our case, 10 years later, um, mm-hmm. some people have been waiting a long time to monetize the value of that equity. And if they had had a choice, and could have taken cash compensation sooner, they might have been able to invest that and do other things with it that would not only have improved the quality of their lives, but may have had a different financial outcome that could have been better.
0: And so where should, you know, without um, <laughs> without any pitch on Keep Financial, in your mind, where does, you know, where does that that employee stand or, or how does this cross over, you know, into that recruiting space? Is it, is it an issue of asking for more early on? Is it saying I'm out when I when I don't think that I'm being treated fairly? Like what, what's the course of action you think that, you know, the, the everyday employee can sort of take and push towards with this?
1: Well, at, at the end of the day, everyone works for money. And so the reason people show up every day in front of their computers, in their offices, wherever they're working, um, they do it because they're getting paid. And so what we presume and have presumed for the many, many, many centuries that we've been compensating people. Is that everybody should get paid the same way we just haven't had an ability to customize compensation in a way that works for individual needs and you might have four people who are doing the same job but they all come from a different position some of them are older some are younger some have families some don't some have student debt some of them don't some of them like to travel some of them don't everybody right. is in a different place and they may want their compensation to reflect that so i think um, as as HR leaders, especially when you're looking at attracting and retaining talent, figuring out ways to be flexible with compensation is one way to make sure that you find and keep the best talent.
2: But, but, you know, I've got a real question here for you, too, because you're talking about the individual and how they perceive that just in the context of what they need to put food on the table, to get some wealth and all of that kind of stuff. But they're also in the context of work with a lot of other people. And I really like your take on the fact that my perception of what's fair in part is based upon what I know about what other people like me are also getting. And if it's a lot more or a lot less, it impacts my perception on whether I'm being fairly treated.
1: And what's interesting is this has always surprised me that people talk about how much money they make. I just. Every time I find out that someone had the conversation with a colleague, I'm like, "What, what is going on with you? Like, why would you do this? I just find it so bizarre. But I know that they do talk about it. And it's really frustrating for teams who are managing compensation because you want to make sure that everything is fair and equitable. Um, I think that people would find it more fair. And, and Shopify did this recently, actually. They announced that they're going to allow their employees mm-hmm. um, to decide how much they get in. Equity versus cash compensation versus. Bonus. They have to worry about having that conversation about with their colleague about how much they're getting paid because everyone is doing it differently. That conversation starts to look a little bit different. The conversation looks a little more like, "Well, what did you do about equity? How much did you take? You know, what percentage?" You can talk about it in ways that aren't quite as. I would say, demotivating when people learn more about how much other people make.
0: Yeah, I think that I think the topic of transparency and, you know, with compensation is complicated, right? We it's really easy for us to say we should throw you know, salaries into job postings. Uh, we see a people already kind of skirting the intent of that by putting these $200,000 <laughs> pay, pay gap or pay, uh, uh, pay steps, right, in that posting. But I think there's a lot of, um, to your point earlier, Keller, I think there's a lot of nuance in determining how we make an offer and what we offer a candidate. And one thing that I think a lot of the regulations aren't, aren't addressing is the total comp aspect too, right, versus just this, this transparency into base salary,
1: Totally agree. And this this other interesting thing happens with base compensation, which is when 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 it's a very competitive job market, all of a sudden base salaries go through the roof. And then what happens is the people who stayed with you are feel like they're not being paid fairly because new people came in doing the same job or a similar job and they're making more money. And then you wind up leveling everybody up if. If you use different tools to compete in a job market other than base compensation, then it allows you to, you know, sort of manage your fixed expenses um, with a little more predictability and then, you know, use other tools, whether it's equity or other forms of cash compensation to, to manage the the fluctuations in, in value.
0: Yeah. It, it, you know, it's an interesting conversation. I spoke with, um, I spoke with a talent leader maybe about a month or so ago, and they said they had done a complete internal analysis of how could they get to true equity from a compensation standpoint for their existing employees across the board. And they said in one year to get there, they could do it in one year. And Jerry, I know Jerry has a stat. Jerry, I always forget what the years, are, but it's was it 70 years or 700. What is it?
2: Oh, that was World Economic Forum. That was a little bit broader than just salary, but it basically said that gender equity at best would not take place in the United States for another 65 years. Yeah. So
0: so this organization says and their financial institution, they're not small, Said that they could get to internal pay equity across the board in one year. But it would cost them 17 million dollars, which is quite staggering. I mean, I don't know who that. Spe- I mean, you need more details, but I don't know who that speaks more about. Yeah, right? With, what is that as a percentage
1: of their budget? I don't know. You know, how many people are impacted? It's hard to know yeah, what yeah. that. But it
0: mean. is interesting. But that apparently is sitting on in the C suite desk somewhere for consideration as do they do they do it in a year? Do they take their time over five years? Or to Jerry's stat that he shared from the, you know, WAF, is its is it 70 years? Let's just pace or, it out. Or
2: do all those, the, all those people who are telling each other how much they're making, uh, just form a union and, and start something up. <laughs>
1: It's funny you should say that because I've been saying that about what I what I call young people because I'm old, but I feel like the people who are newer to the job market have effectively over the last couple of years unionized without yes. doing so formally. And, and you've seen a play out, I think, especially with return to office, that people are saying, I- I'm not going to the office. I like working from home. I'm doing my thing the way I want to do it. And if you make me go back to the office, I'm going to go find another job and so i think that's been a really interesting um turn of events or how employees are taking control of how they want to work and i think we're going to see it happening more and more with how they want to get paid
2: so i think if we really understand what outputs are in a in a corporation and obviously it gets very complex in some areas but where we can understand what the output is we could we could work much more fairly in terms of identifying what you get for that output and what control you have over, over where and when and how you do that to make that output take place. So totally so, Kevin, agree. I and
1: also, do you see more of it? When people feel like they have agency and autonomy, do you see that there's more output? Sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: No, no, that's fine. You're the guest. You can interrupt either of us all you want, yeah. <laughs> I get my question, I guess, to you as, as sort of the professional and expert in this space uh, and looking at this through your lens, who who would you give uh, what advice to? Are you are you leaning towards telling employers, hey, get, you know, get your get your shop in order, make this right, use these tools. Or are you leaning towards telling the candidates or the employees, hey. You know, you got to do what's right for you. And when the market is safe for you, you should move and get that 20 percent bump. Uh, what, what, What do you tell what do you tell the world, Catherine? What's your advice?
1: I think there are three things. I think the first thing you need to do is talk to your people, talk to your employees. And find out what they want. Find out where they're happy, where they're not happy with their compensation. And find out and ask them open-ended questions. Look, how would you like to be compensated? What's important to you? Is it more important to you to to work fewer hours and get paid the same amount? Is it more important to you to feel like you are, you know, part of the team and your interests are aligned because you have equity? Ask them how they want to get paid. I think that is a really interesting. is a, is a really interesting way to learn more about your workforce especially as it continues to change as, as all of them do i think the second thing you have to think about is what is the actual cost of the compensation that you provide if you um if you provide if you provide bonuses, how how hard is it to go through the process to figure out what the bonuses should be, that they're fair, that that people did the work that they were supposed to do? What's the cost of going through that process? And also for equity, the same thing, whether you're talking about a public company or a private company, what's the actual cost? Most CFOs will tell you that if they had an opportunity to clean up their cap tables and give fewer options and go to the board less often to ask for more. They'd be really happy about that. So I think there, there are other components as well. And then I think I think the last thing is to look at the market and figure out, you know what are other companies that are innovating in the space doing? What are the new trends that you're seeing? What are some other I mean maybe what people want is like 10 grand a year to go fly wherever they want to go to do, which I don't know. I don't know what what the various what, what the various things are, but find ways that you can meet your employees where they are. We had this really interesting thing that happened um, at Cabbage. Noticed, um, especially in the last few years, that our frontline um folks, people who are answering the phone, talking to customers, they were usually your um, you know, younger workforce, they were newer to the job market, and and they also were they made less money. And so um they started saying in town hall, which we had every week, we would introduce new people and they would say their fun facts. What we found is in this population of employees, their fun facts became their side hustle and all of these folks had businesses on the side that they were running and they wanted to take these jobs because it gave them an opportunity to continue to do their side hustle but have benefits and you know and still have a regular paycheck and they could invest in their side hustle maybe something that we do is say hey employees we support your side hustle and here's 10 grand to do your side hustle you know, whatever it may be, like you can have flexible working options because we know you have a side hustle. Whatever it is that is important to your employees needs to be important to you, even if it doesn't make sense because like me, you're fifty two years old and you're like, just go to work and do your job, you know
2: yeah. <laughs> I kidding. love it. I mean I love that. And, and what what you stimulated when you were talking about that was one of our one of the folks who's really very good in recruiting a couple of years ago was offered a a great job in a fairly large company and was sent a contract that basically said, you know, you get to work for us and you can't do anything else is is really what it said. And she ripped it up and rewrote the contract that said, no, here's my side hustles. Here's what I do when I'm not doing your work and I'll do your work, but you got to let me do my side hustle. And they signed that contract. And I, and I went, Oh man, that's a, different world clearly and you're you're uh, you're confirming that there's an awful lot of possibilities here that we, we may not have tapped in more traditional organizations that kind of says well if you're using us for 40 40 hours a week we don't want you to do anything else because you know we we, we think that could dilute what we're getting from you
1: but 40 <laughs> hours there's a lot more hours in a week than 40 right so there's plenty it, of time to run your side
2: hustle. Yeah. Well, didn't
0: Mr. Musk just tell everybody, get ready for 80-hour uh, weeks back in the office and no
2: more free lunch for you. So yeah. he's redefining non-exempt. I think he's <laughs> redefining asshole, but that's a whole different topic. We Look, we, <laughs> I, we got a, a chat. long
1: time ago.
0: <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, we Okay, so we do have a chat that just came up. Somebody on LinkedIn. So Catherine, I'll read this to you. It says, realize that total reward, and I'm sorry, your name's not showing up on the feed or I'd call you up, but... Realize that total reward is interpreted by the employee based on the personal consumption of the employee. An individual who had a partner who also works and benefit enrollment is done through that partner has a different view of their rewards package from their employer than their peer who makes the same on wage, but engages other parts of the reward portfolio. Well put, equity does come with access first, but engagement of those options is very personal. What would you say to totally that? Totally
1: agree. I think that's yeah. super consistent with what we've been saying. You know, it, everybody comes to a company from a different place with different needs, including how they get paid.
0: Yeah, I, well, I think the individuality like that, that and it raises a really good point, LinkedIn user. Sorry about that. Uh, it raises a really good point. Like, for instance, I was paying for my own benefits uh, for a number of years here at Crew Crossroads, right, uh, as independent. And I am now on my partner's benefits. Uh, so i have, you know there's a very different scenario there than i would not have even thought of before right and, and it means my needs are now different from career crossroads than they were previously and i have very different expectations of what my benefits may need to be
1: and if you and if you do that if you change your benefits and your employer let's say will pay for your benefits but you're using your spouses or your partners because that is better than what your employer can provide you're still thinking to yourself hmm they'd be spending a thousand bucks a month on me on insurance but they're not so like what's up man why, why don't i get some of that where is where's the where's the customer yeah I
0: think mean, that's a great call out like you get here's just set amount of money and you can spend it however you want for your own internal but is anybody doing that I haven't heard of anybody sort of taking that stance is it have, have either of you
1: i haven't I, not Not think, when it comes to it's just helping
2: Right. I think you see efforts being made to to help people better understand what the what the benefits costs are and the extent to which you're using a fair amount of those. Um, But I haven't really seen anybody just say, you know, here's a pool and, you know, check the boxes uh, that make use of the pool. And if you go beyond that, then you're paying pieces of that for yourself. I'll give
1: you another example. Um, which is 401ks and student loans, people, a lot of young people who are new to the job market are not participating in their 401k program. They're matching 401k program at their employer because they can't afford it because they're paying off their student loans. There's no equivalent to that that you can get to say, hey, I'm going to use that matching amount to pay off my student loans. You just don't get the benefit.
2: Oh. and it was andrew Goddamski who made that i just i just saw him. that pop up good so to see good to see you in the text andrew. yeah out to you andrew <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that that is a really interesting sort of argument of what it would be fascinating for some uh numbers nut <clears throat> maybe we're talking to you andrew to crunch those numbers and kind of see what what would be the net net at the end of a solution like that for an organization of x size y size do they save money uh, Is it, is it just net Equal, like every everything breaks even from that standpoint, and then what happens? I would imagine to the the organization's culture is: are you creating loyalty with that? Right. Uh, and then, of course, you know, transferring into retention and that sort of thing.
1: And it is important. I mean, there most of the things that you see today with total rewards. There's not a retention built in per se. There's retention if there are RSUs or options or other forms of equity issued that normally carries a retention component. Um, and, and bonus is only retention if you wait long enough to get your bonus. But we all know that people are more likely to stay when there's something they have to give back rather than something might happen in the future. So, you know, I think that's an important po- point, measuring the the retention value of the various compensation options that you make available to your employees.
0: Interesting. Look, Katherine, I'm going to ask you, uh, out of out of the left blue sky, I'm going to ask you a question we hadn't talked about. Anecdotally, Jerry and I have been talking to a number of folks who, who are ready for a move. Uh, and then obviously we've been talking to countless folks who are being forced into a move right now, right? With the job market being what it is. But but we are seeing anecdotally at the director level, uh, candidates are starting to ask about their exit when being hired on because uh, yes, comp is important, but people are also now st- trying to maybe, I think I, my interpretation of this is they're starting to take a stance on their stability. And so whereas normally we see these golden parachutes at the C-suite, I think at the director level now, we're starting to see some people say, well, what happens if you decide you overhired and i'm out in a year well, how will you take care of me what guarantees do i have please put those in writing here so are you also seeing anything like that or rumblings stuff like that yet or is it is it early days or are we just seeing some crazy some crazy chat with our friends
1: it really is so driven by industry i think you know in in the tech environment in particular people are more likely to ask for more because there's just it's historically, I think those entities have been more flexible and, and frankly, provided more rich compensation packages probably than others may have. And, and it depends on the, the role that you have, the level that you are, how many years of experience. Um, I think because there's been this, this strategy that a lot of employees have had over the last, I would say, six years, six to eight years, of mm-hmm. laddering where they, you know, they leave their jobs every two years because they're moving up in the organization. So they'll take a stretch job at a tech company and then they'll parlay that into the same role at a bigger company where they can demonstrate that they actually know how to do it. Then they move up to a better job at a tech company that's a stretch job and they keep moving back and forth. And I think people who have that mentality aren't as likely to ask for something. And when they leave, because they are probably going to be the ones doing the leaving before they get laid off.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Well, okay. so, Catherine, I want to thank you so much for your time today. But before we let you go, I have to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests. Catherine, if you were going to write a book about this topic, about the state of things today, what what would you title that book?
1: I I think I would call it We All Work for Money.
0: We all work for money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and here's my follow-up question. Who gets the first signed copy?
1: Obviously you do, since you asked the question. Oh,
0: that's so nice. I think listeners, you got I think you guys are listening to the show before and it's starting to take off.
1: Has anybody just written a book, book based on this?
0: Yeah, just give the book to Chris or Jerry, it'll be fine. <laughs> I don't think I can send you two.
1: It's this. fine. Books are too long. Has been my observation, especially business books. They're way too long. My "we all work for money" thing. I would say, seventy pages max.
0: I'm thinking somewhere between seventy pages and a TikTok video for me. That's I kind of need a little. Okay. Bit of That's
1: a good point. I'll work on. I'll have to up my TikTok game for that.
0: Oh, I can't get. I can't do the TikTok. I just can't. There's. I got to draw a line somewhere. Look, Catherine, thank you so much. Much gratitude. We're so grateful that you joined the show today uh, and we could share uh, for those. uh, I hope uh, you noticed uh, Catherine's LinkedIn profile. You can get on there and jump in. Uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to say thank you to everybody who dialed in and listened. This will be up on the old Spotify and all those other places that you listen to shortly. Uh, I want to remind anybody uh, who is uh, hanging with us or, or listening in or you're on your treadmill, or your Stairmaster or whatever, uh, we got a lot going on at cxr.works slash events. You can see what's ahead as we round out the year. And I want to remind you too, if you or somebody that you know in the recruiting space has been displaced or is looking for a job change, we have a job board up at cxr.works jobs. There are, as of this morning, over 200 recruiting jobs around the world. A lot of them are virtual and they're at some pretty reputable companies that we do say so ourselves. Uh, so I would encourage you to check those out. And if you're not in that market, please take that link and pass that on uh, into your network because we're just recruiters trying to help recruiters. Uh, so with that, I want to thank everybody. And we're just going to say we are out of here. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye. Thanks so much.